0: The real-time nature of Lyft makes it even more complex than, let's say, you me in the marketplace, does a driver have somebody in the car? And making sure that when we we're able to forecast pretty well with this many drivers on the road at this time yeah. period, with these price levels, here's what we think that utilization will be. Lyft always goes, into, like any marketplace, always goes back and forth between supply, demand, which one do you need when, and we certainly go back and forth, and markets vary considerably. That's where a lot of the the automation, the tooling, really helps us understand what's going on there.
1: Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada and I'm the host for How I Grew This. Hi everyone. Super excited to be here today. Uh, We have our next guest, Archie Abrams. He's currently the Senior Director of Product Management and Head of uh, Rider Product at Lyft. And before that, when I actually met Archie, he was employee number 10 at Udemy, where he scaled user acquisition and retention efforts from zero to over 20 million. So, so excited to have you here today, Archie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Really excited to be here.
1: You know, last time we hung out uh, was in person. We were at the dinner, which now seems like a completely different world. The world has changed a lot. Tell me a little bit about how you're doing, how is Lyft doing during this really crazy time?
0: It's certainly a, a crazy time right now. And, you know, personally, I feel very fortunate to be in you know, a good good position right now. But, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of pain in the world, which is really, really sad. On the Lyft side, we've... Uh, It's been a really interesting time. As you can imagine, Rideshare is dependent on people being able to go out. So as kind of the world reopens, how do we help the world kind of get back moving again? And so been a lot of a lot of discussions and a lot of interesting conversations, but it's been a whirlwind.
1: Any interesting learnings or any plans that you're able to share with with the audience?
0: Yeah, so I mean I think one of the really interesting things for us to think about is it's almost like going back in time to you know, the, the earlier days I lived, and I've, I've only been at Lyft for about a year, when markets were just starting up again. Um, and so a lot of the things that may have worked at scale, when you have a lot more data and all of those things, all of a sudden there isn't the same amount of data. The markets are coming back in very different ways, depending on how cities are open up. So it's actually, it's an interesting reversion back to some of the more manual scrappy approaches of, of older time or even a lower scale. Um, and started to retrain some of the models that we had relied on. But as you can imagine, the world is very different. Um, and so some of the, the insights are, are no longer as useful as they were before. Um, so we're, we're kind of excited about that, that scrappy or manual approach uh, to rebooting the markets.
1: I totally get that. I think uh, we've seen some of that at Branch, and I felt that on the marketing team. Any examples of like, something manual you guys are doing <laughs> that uh, you would have never thought you'd do again?
0: Can't go into too much, but I think um, just a lot as we think about um, incentives and, and all of that uh, for both riders and drivers, you know, just, just a different, different way of doing work, um, a lot more manual SQL queries and the like uh, to make sure that we're, we're doing the right, the right things.
1: Let's go back to you and, and kind of your career. I always like to start a podcast first with a person and then with the actual growth initiatives. And, you know, we've uh, I've met you when you were at the Udemy and you've like helped drive a lot of the growth there. I know you're also a runner, which uh, I know runners are pretty intense people. Tell us a little bit what, you know, like what drives you, what makes you who you are and how does that translate in your into your career choices?
0: You know, generally my, you know, personal I think, professional life I, I really like a lot of variety and, and and kind of excitement um so I've always kind of chosen problems that I think are going to be really fun and really interesting with a lot of diversity of you know people problems and in those areas so you know my first job out of college was working as a consultant I absolutely hated that making powerpoint slides I just quit after nine months started Me a company too. yes <laughs> it's a miserable existence um and it's so, yes and so I started a company that that failed and then is in that tech space and then got in contact with the, the founder of Udemy, Goggin, and decided to, to move out uh, to San Francisco and from Boston and kind of see what would happen uh, and then just kind of ride the adventure along the way. And I think that's really been something that I really enjoy is just constant variety, different challenges and being able to move around is really kind of fun.
1: Oh, man, Goggin. Actually, I shared... Uh I was in a Burning Man camp with Goggin once. Uh, he's a really intense character. He was the, one of the organizers of the Burning Camp that I joined two years ago. Uh, food was super fancy. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, the
0: food was, must have been really good. Goggin does well on the food.
1: Because after Udemy, he started a food startup, for those that don't know. That's awesome. And then what made you make the decision to join Lyft and, and leave Udemy?
0: For me, it was, yeah, I've been at Udemy for, for almost eight years. Um, and so eight years is a, is a long time particularly in in this area, and was really, you know, I think two things excited about Lyft, kind of the mission, um, really interesting, hard consumer problems uh, in in the marketplace. Um, So it was really attracted to the problems, met a lot of great people, uh, you know, along the way in the kind of interview process and even before. Uh, And then finally, on a personal note, wanted to see, you know, even when we got to, you know, 20 million students, a lot of scale, but wanted to see that next level of scale and kind of what could I learn Um, from that environment. Uh, So that was what what pushed me to the, uh, to join Lyft.
1: That's awesome. That's really cool. And so when you think about, you know, your um, career and you've kind of been in different variations of growth, and I think uh, we've talked about this uh, at the dinner we were, where should growth fit an organization? How do you think about that? And how do you think, you know, as a a head of product, uh, how do you think of like your role in driving growth?
0: Growth is one of those those really interesting words which can mean everything and nothing. And and as a kind of funny story, we, you know, even at Udemy towards the end, we really stopped using the word growth because it had almost meant, because it meant everything and nothing. So I think of of growth, I think of like any org structure as what type of problem do we actually need to solve today? And then let's make sure we're organizing and have the right set of people to solve those problems. And so if if I was to go back to, let's say the Udemy stage of kind of through it, you know, in the early days, it really was. We had a little bit of product market fit, but it was all around getting um, liquidity in our marketplace. For those who don't know, Udemy is an online marketplace for or marketplace for online learning. And so it was all about kind of growth, growth marketing, growth product, really just juicing things and getting things moving so we get liquidity in the market. As we start, and we had a growth team. It was basically growth marketing, product engineering, kind of a really kind of fully staffed and staffed team in order to go after whatever opportunity we saw fit. I think what that ended up doing was we actually didn't invest that much in the core product, or nearly enough in the core product experience, the learning experience, the instructor experience, many parts of, of what made Udemy important. Um, and so what we did was, as we kind of got to that next stage of growth, we said, hey, we actually need to invest a lot more in our customer experience. And so in that point, we actually really pivoted um, our entire org to be oriented around customers, right? Or in this case, students, instructors and businesses and empowered teams to go much deeper into the customer experience as opposed to more of the optimizations and growth side that we had been doing. So then the next stage was really, we had this growth engine, we have a much better product. Now we need to find new business opportunities out there um, to really expand the market for what we're doing. So what I call capital G growth. And that's when we started to, to invest in fund teams that were doing much more experimental, new business models and all of those pieces. So in general, you know, my take on kind of growth is depending on where the company is and depending on what the levers are to actually make sure that the company is successful, make sure that you're organizing your growth efforts appropriately and not coming um, kind out of one size fits all kind of growth team without regard to the problem that you're trying to solve.
1: I think that's a really good answer and I think uh, it really resonates with me this idea that growth could mean everything and it could mean nothing I think at branch a lot of the way we think about growth actually has usually set on marketing and then like the product team focuses on the best user experience but I think this idea that you have to work together and it has to be cross-functional has also been like super interesting and something that I think we're exploring how about left how do you guys think about Is there a growth function that's left? So when I joined, it used to be an
0: independent function. So basically, there's kind of a core product team and there was growth. Again, kind of similar to what I described at Udemy, I think one of the things that that we observed was we weren't always taking uh, the most holistic customer approach to solving problems because there was core product for rider-driver and then growth, which spanned across riders and drivers um, as a separate arm. What we ended up doing about a year ago is saying, well, growth is actually embedded into each of our kind of customer teams, so rider team, driver team, marketplace team as well, to make sure that we are thinking about the customer uh, experience and then growth efforts and service of those customers. So there is a rider growth team, which sits in rider, and then a driver growth team, which sits in driver, but we have a lot more coordination because yeah. they all report up to, let's say, me on the rider side or my partner Raj on the driver's side. A lot more coordination between the core and the growth efforts, which allows us, I think, to be more effective in making sure we're really solving customer problems in a holistic way from a course experience and a growth perspective.
1: That's so interesting. I think this idea of like growth in a marketplace where you have to have... You have to, if, if you grow one side too much, the other side really suffers. How do you guys... Like think about that, and how did you think about it? If you know in the early days when it was probably even more complicated than now, and then how do you think about it now, especially in a time like this when, you know, how many people do you bring online for drivers, for example, because you don't know how many people are going to be ready to take rides, etc.
0: It's a really interesting problem, particularly the the real time nature of Lyft it makes it even more complex than let's say Udemy in the marketplace because uh, it was. There's not the the real-time nature. So at, at Lyft, it's really thinking about what's the incremental value of adding a driver into a given region and how many driver hours those people will produce. And then what's the incremental value of adding a rider and particularly looking at some of the marketplace balance metrics. So one might be how utilized or how often in a given hour, let's say, does a driver have somebody in the car and making sure that when we... We're able to forecast pretty well, you know, with this many drivers on the road at this time yeah. period with these price levels. Here's what we think that utilization will be, and if we our projections are off, we can obviously use certain tools, incentives, and the like to make sure that we're able to balance those those markets effectively. And it's you know, Lyft always goes know, like any marketplace always goes back and forth between supply, demand. Which one do you need when? And we certainly. Uh, continually kind of go back and forth and markets vary considerably. Um, and so that's where a lot of the, the automation, the tooling really helps us understand what's going on there.
1: That's like so cool. <laughs> it's fascinating. The other thing I usually ask, and I think uh, our listeners probably like, are like the stories, like the things that you did at Udemy in the earlier days versus the later days and at the Lyft, maybe some stories of features or things that you tried that drove a lot of growth, whether it was product features or even things on the marketing side on user acquisition. But what are like, you know, what are some interesting stories around this that you're willing to share?
0: One great one, you know, Udemy, um certainly in the early days, and today too, use discounts and promotions to drive a lot of a lot of student demand. And it's it's one of those interesting things where education selling online learning is actually kind of tough. It's a very aspirational product, right? Like most people, when they buy a book, don't read the book. Most people, when they buy a course, don't take the course. um, But it feels really good to buy a book or buy a course. Um, And so we had a strategy of, uh, we kind of worked our way into this, of pricing a list price, course 200 bucks, and then discounting it down 75%, 80%, et cetera, et cetera. And when you have those massive perceived value, this thing is worth 200 bucks, all the way down to, let's say, 15 or $10. It creates a lot of perceived value and then a lot of excitement when the user buys it because they feel like they got this amazing deal um, on this course. And what we noticed was, that doesn't really work for first-time users, it actually worked for repeat users over and over again. So I think, in some ways, the, the innovation of Udemy was kind of understanding the psychology of how somebody was making an online course.
1: What do you mean repeat users, like people who are Do Udemy multiple times?
0: Yes, people at Udemy. So one, you know, potential negative is, you know, you price something 200 bucks, you discount it down to 10 bucks, maybe you can get somebody the first time to purchase. But what about that second purchase, third purchase, fourth purchase? Can you continually do that and continually get them to repurchase? The fact is we were actually able to do that pretty well with that high-low model. Uh, And repeat purchases actually continue to be really strong, even with some very, very aggressive discounting, again, because tapping into the the psychology of somebody who's buying an online course, it's very aspirational in nature. And so, because it's very aspirational, people love the sense of getting a good deal. And we were able to tap into that on an ongoing basis. In addition to that, one of the interesting things that we, we leveraged was learning from some of our instructors. About what they were doing. So, you, know, you use Marketplace, lots of instructors. We noticed some of our top instructors were discounting their courses down to 10 bucks, just flat rate. Everything was 10 bucks. Um, and we noticed that was converting really, really well. And so, what we did was we actually just copied that ourselves and started discounting all of our courses down to 10 bucks and saw amazing growth because of that. And one of the learnings there for anybody in a two sided marketplace is. Look at what your most successful marketplace participants are doing on the supply or the demand side. Really analyze what what are they doing that's working. And you can easily abstract some of those learnings out and leverage that um, for your own marketplace uh, dynamics.
1: That's so interesting. So it worked when you did the discounts, but if you weren't, if you were just priced at low, it wouldn't work as well.
0: And that was one of the the huge things where we actually did a lot of testing where we tried to lower just lower the list price down. I mean, we're talking like 2x, you know, increases when you actually had the high list price with the big conversion versus just pricing at that fully discounted price. On top of that, you actually saw better lifetime values when you discounted than when you didn't discount. So the repeat purchase rate was up because of That psychology of playing with this stuff.
1: They get some dopamine and they come back for the. That's so. And they keep coming back. And
0: I don't think that works in every industry. I think it worked really well in our case because, again, that psychology of learning is very aspirational. One. Two, people in this new, like, what is an online course? struggle to understand what is this thing? Is it a book? Is it not? And you could use price as a really powerful anchor. To set somebody's expectations that this thing was worth a lot of money, discount it down, they, folks feel like they're getting a really good deal.
1: It's interesting. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen others copy that now. Like Masterclass, I think, has done it. And my mother called me from Romania telling me she signed up for Masterclass because there was two for one or something. I was like, wow, that's it's really interesting. I think you guys like kind of were the first ones to do it. And we see, we see the market following that. That's like really, really cool. How about what works at Lyft? Any, any features or anything interesting that you guys have done to drive growth? I suspect that discounts don't work the same way.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about the, the discounts at, at Lyft is obviously the fun thing about Udemy and the fun thing about digital goods is you have no marginal cost. Yeah. Lyft obviously has margin, very significant marginal cost. That matters quite a bit. I think on, the, on, on really what drives growth, so if, we, if we break it down into retention, And then acquisition. So it's been really interesting. I think we've done some really interesting work on the the retention side, particularly around understanding how the core product experience can impact long-term retention. So some really interesting work the team did around really looking at all the negative experiences that happen on Lyft. Um, So that could be, you know, driver cancels on you, you miss a phone call from a driver, and then say, hey, these are the ones that are most correlated with uh, six months you know rides, let's say in the future, we've really uncovered a lot of really like seemingly small um, opportunities that actually had were really painful for the rider that caused them to turn and potentially go to uber so one very tactical thing is you know if you order a a, a lift and we don't quite get your destination right and you have to you know uh, use the map to drag to a different location, yeah. that is one of the most Painful experiences for riders. Why? Because you usually get picked up in the wrong spot.
1: You get a bad review too, right? Because the driver gets annoyed that like they can't find you.
0: Exactly. So we're launched and launching a lot of experiments around just I mean very sounds very simple, but snapping To exactly the spot that we recommend you go to and giving you more like preset Pickup spots. That's awesome. Which is actually like again sounds very small but actually, has quite a bit of of impact, um, and I can go through a whole host of of different experiences on the the retention side that are really starting to compound and drive a lot of repeat usage uh, by just fixing these really small issues in the in the product that, that do drive a lot of growth.
1: That's so interesting. I think um, I've been doing these roundtables and like doing. Sir, I did a survey on LinkedIn and asked people about like what are they focused most on growth during this time, and retention was. I think 70% of people that I've re- answered to my survey or like, it used to be that growth started with acquisition, but I think this year growth starts with retention. And I even, I even see this at branch and I know we're a B2B company, but it doesn't seem to matter if it's B2C or B2B, everyone's like now very focused on retention. And I think it's just so, such a big shift from, it was all about like new users, new users.
0: Totally, totally.
1: How about a failure story? Like something you thought was going to do amazing and it didn't.
0: One really interesting one is the, the Udemy B2B business in the early days. You know, some, some context here. You know, Udemy kind of two-sided marketplace, started as consumer, but we obviously could potentially sell into companies. In the early days, like 2014 or so, we invested in the B2B business and it was a complete failure. Basically, didn't have enough content that companies wanted, product wasn't very good, couldn't get customers in there. And, you know, I think we were all very bullish. Hey, this is a huge market, corporate LD, this is much bigger than consumer, it's going to work, it's going to work. The silver lining was, and I think this is like one of my big learnings is that we restarted it in 2016, 2017, and boom, it took off. And it, and it turned out to be, and now it is a huge, huge part of Udemy's uh, success. And I think, You know, why we all of a sudden had a much deeper content library. We had established a brand. We actually had enough resources to be able to dedicate, to build out the B2B side um, of the product. And one of my big learnings was a lot of ideas are potentially good ideas, just the wrong timing. And to be really disciplined around, hey, are we just not a bad idea? And it failed because of timing or failed because of execution or failed because strategically it was the wrong thing. Personally, for folks who have been at companies for a long time, and I was certainly this person at Udemy, I used to kill a lot of ideas that we had tried like four or five years ago, that in hindsight, I'm not sure I should have killed because if we had done them with a different circumstance, it may have completely different. And now as kind of a newer person at Lyft, kind of notice myself, sometimes you run into like, hey, we tried this four years ago, it didn't work. Well, is that really a good reason? Um, And so I think thinking through timing, execution strategically, uh, when you see ideas that fail um, and then learning from that and then recognizing when the time may be right to actually go out and do it.
1: Man, I'm like cringing because like I d- identify with this so much. I'm many times a person at Branch. I'm like, we tried this in the past and then I was wrong. Like, some, I think you're so right, that right on this one. I'm like taking a mental note yeah. to be better but <laughs>
0: It's tough, though, because you saw, you know, it's like, oh, this failed. It's not going to work.
1: But it's not. I mean, it, it, it could be timing. We were a different company four years ago, right? Just because we tried something then doesn't mean it shouldn't work now. That kind of takes me to just like your career growth and how have you thought about it? And what do you think helped you become the leader you are today? And maybe then I'll ask you about the advice for others. But let's start with, you know, like maybe some self-reflection on this.
0: Think? So one is really love to... Learn So just constantly trying to reflect on what is working, what isn't working and and really try to kind of continually get better and that kind of that growth mindset second and related to that. And I, I hope stay humble and just like constantly asking questions and trying to learn, uh, what's, what's going out there. And then really been, I think really fortunate to have got to work with some really great people. Uh, and I think build some really effective teams, um, and really through kind of high trust relationships and really, I, I think, taking a very thoughtful yeah. approach to how we, we approach that. So for me, it's like my big advice for everybody, like learn, stay humble, don't get too caught up in your own success or failures. Um, just kind of keep going and then treat people well, um, your team members, your peers, all of that. Like sounds cliche, but I think a lot of folks in our industry don't, they always do that. Um, and so that's like a really... Key thing to, for me and, and for folks I, I want to be around.
1: You're very modest. Uh, how about you ran competitively? And I've noticed this thing uh, among the people I've hired among, around my career. It seems like people who have been competitive athletes tend to be really good. <laughs> what do you think is it? Is it the discipline? But it's more than just like uh, they're just very driven. Just to be so, there seems to be something there.
0: For me, it's probably two things. But I think about like sports and athletics. So ran a lot, but also played a bunch of other sports in, in high school and before. I think for me, it's two things. One, it is like you are very focused and, and driven. I think the other thing that I actually describe it more. And there's lots of ways to gain this experience. This is not exclusive to athletics, but uh, a team orientation as well. There's a lot of the, the former athletes, and again, they come from many backgrounds, ha- often have a very team oriented mm-hmm. approach. Um, even in something that is, quote, an individual sport-like track cross country, you're still with the team. You're doing stuff together. And I think, I think about some of the team environments I've always wanted to create. They replicate some of those you know, athletic teams as well because you're all on the same team. You're fighting for a common mission. You're all together. And the best team is always competitive. They're all helping each other. And so that's my, my observation is like there's that drivenness. But also having been on a team and kind of interacted in that way, Create really healthy um, relationships and, and dynamics.
1: I didn't think about that part actually. I, I mean, and it's so obvious, right? That's very cool. We're here during COVID, and the world has changed. And you talked a little bit about what Lyft is doing. What do you think is gonna are some big opportunities for companies in the next year? Because I don't think there's going to be. I mean, I think there will be change, but I don't think we'll be back to normal for quite some time.
0: Great question. I mean, one like, very tactical thing that I'm you know curious. You guys are seeing, and we are certainly seeing is, you know, ad prices are dropping like a, a rock. And so I think very tactically, there is going to be a significant opportunity on, you know, acquiring and resurrecting folks uh, very, very cheaply or cost-effectively, at least relative to where we were before. And I think if you go deeper into that, if you look at some mediums like out-of-home TV, radio, they're incredibly cheap right now even more so than the digital channels
1: so you think radio is working well i think the question that i have around radio is like people are not commuting as much anymore totally so are they still i don't know if i heard that radio is not i've heard like very mixed signals about radio
0: yeah i mean talking to some folks i've heard decent things because the cost has gone down significantly more than the drop of impressions you know we'll try starting to explore whether we should play there but i think it yeah, I think it's it's really interesting times. Is you might find an arbitrage opportunity. They exist now, and it, um, and that's almost like being encouraged. To everybody is like, there are probably some arbitrage opportunities out there. Depending on your business, depending on the way it works, that didn't exist three months ago. What are they, and, and can you uh, find them? Um, I think the other like trend that we've been observing, you know, Lyft, which is obviously a very mobile product, maybe on this podcast, not the best thing to say, but we have seen a you know a surge in. Desktop
1: usage. <laughs> I mean, we put up some numbers around this, so it's totally fine. We, I, we literally looked at. We actually have a web SDK, and we looked at desktop. But very interestingly, all has surged, and desktop has surged more, but only during the week. On weekends, it's really interesting. Desktop is not as high. I, I'll actually share the data with you. Yeah, that
0: is super interesting. I actually didn't realize that. So people are going out on the weekends a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and mobile is still high on weekends, but desktop is not as high as it is during the week. And I can show you the the trend. It's like really, it's actually really funny.
0: That's really interesting. I think the other piece, as we enter a recession that we've been top of mind on is, or potentially a recession, is during recessions, companies that just stayed top of mind during the recession continued to focus on kind of affordability and access, continued yeah. to do well. So that's, that was something. That's something we're kind of certainly thinking about a lot. Is how do we build a product? Um, that works well in a recessionary environment um, where people are going to be more, more price sensitive, what do what some of those products potentially look like where we can continue to drive down the cost but do so in a sustainable way?
1: This was really awesome, and I think I learned a lot. But we're going to end with a few fun questions. So the first one is, if you had to delete all the apps you had on your phone and could only keep one, what would that app be?
0: My interval timer for my workouts
1: wow interesting what
0: kind of workouts do you do stretching like lifting that type of stuff and i like whenever i'm without i have an inability to use that uh that app for some reason on my phone or something it kills me
1: i love it this is like such a unique answer i love it okay the other one is uh kind of a weird one but if you could talk to one to a type of animal or a specific animal alone through an app what animal would you pick
0: but i have to go with a monkey
1: okay why a monkey
0: is monkeys are you know they're smart so i think it'd be a fun conversation they would be able to give some interesting insights about the world they they live in they're very they're very creative and mischievous so i'd be very curious what their world is like and i just always like monkeys for some reason
1: okay and then last what's the and this one maybe will help us learn the most about you what's the most unlikely app on your phone
0: the most unlikely app on my phone Aside from Uber, because I work at Lyft.
1: <laughs> That's not unlikely. You have to have the competition, right? Like, you have to use the... <laughs> uh,
0: ticket to Ride is probably my... Uh,
1: <gasps> I have that too. I play it on my iPad.
0: Yeah, so do I actually... It's like the one game that I play.
1: It's like very kind of mindless, and I just like, I like... I don't know why I like playing it. I play like playing as a computer.
0: Yeah, same. I just, I just sit there and just kind of like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> what tickets would I get? How can I like... I win most of the time, but when I don't win, I definitely play another game to win.
0: Oh, same. I know. It's very... My wife makes fun of me for that. She's like, what are you, why are you just like, playing that for hours?
1: It's very like mindless. It is. Like it's almost like meditation. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was, uh, this was really wonderful. Thank you so much for uh, all the lessons or the interesting stories. Uh, I think the advice for arbitrage is probably my favorite one. Um, So yeah, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.